Just don't stop bark. Dad, you are in your house. Oh, oh boy. Oh. We've only got 24 hours to bring back the rest of Dad. We're going on a quest. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are bringing you our first Oscar Sprint profile of the film year 2020. We are reviewing Pixar's Onward for you. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, coming up right now. Mike, we are familiar with this type of movie. This time last year, we completed an entire Pixar series rewatch. You have a humongous playlist on SoundCloud to go check out. And Mike, I think we're pretty proud of that series. Yeah, we are. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I think we did some of our best work on it. It was my job to talk us all through the history of the Pixar company and how and why they run their business in such a unique way. And then, Michael, it was your job to talk us through Pixar's 22 rules of storytelling. We had a lot of fun segments in that uh, rewatch series, just like we always try and do. Uh, <laughs> when we try to have rewatch series that are wiped out by a virus. By a, vi by a uh, coronavirus, but it might have been wiped out by our responses to our, the segments we came up with for this James Bond character study. Because we just We were being too negative, off. so oh. MGM just moved it and said, we're not dealing with this. The fan, the fanboys are mad. <laughs> Look at this. They devoted a whole rewatch. I mean, series we're it. just lowering the bar for No Time to Die. But yes, unfortunately, our latest rewatch series featuring the James Bond character study it's on pause, as for the time being, because yes. No Time to Die did get moved, but we have a good and genuine OSP to get through today, something we think and hope will contend for Best Animated Feature at this year's Oscars. And every year, as a matter of fact, we create several playlists of new movie review episodes, and the one we build especially for awards contenders, like I said, those are our OSPs, the Oscar Sprint Profiles. In these episodes, we always have a non-spoiler and a spoiler section. We always build to an Oscars lens before we give you a spoiler warning that breaks down the plot, but something we've done occasionally, Michael, and something we enjoy very much doing is bringing in guests to help us review these films. Yes, Mati of the Movie Marathoners podcast is going to join us in a few minutes. He had me back on his show in December for his episode ranking the best, best pictures. Yes. And this was a lot of fun because we talked about the best, best pictures of the last decade. And your, your listing brought a tear to my eye, put a smile on my face. I definitely thought about you in my top five. I was like, if I don't have one particular movie in there... Can't walk into work and have my co-host just shame me and yell at right, me? I held back. Yeah. You did well. I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Well, I had five like very negative movies, and Mati had five very uplifting, positive films. Good balance. It was a good balance for that episode. Uh, it's not a good balance when you and I are only on here together because we're both very negative, especially after James Bond movies that just rattle us to our core and just shake our whole entire understanding of the industry and the schlock it was built upon, Michael. Sometimes it's tough to look back. But like this is the perfect movie yes. to uh, transition from, correct? Yes, it is. And it's, it's very a uplifting. Film, and it's a funny film. It is, I would say, something that you could bring the kids to as well. And something yeah. certainly, if you have siblings, as we will get to and talk about, uh, probably want to see it with them, we can start. Like we always do these OSPs, the non-spoiler section with our production profile, Michael. Yes, let's uh, let's start with the co-writer and director. This is Dan Scanlon of Monsters University. I think we were both higher on Monsters U than some other people. Something we found during our Pixar rewatch series, and we were going through that episode saying, why is everyone so low on this when we think it's a plenty fine movie? It was plenty fine. Yeah. I knew there was plenty fine Billy Crystal jokes. We haven't had a lot of <laughs> Billy Crystal jokes 
since the original Monsters, Inc. Right, yeah, I think that's a good point, especially the last movie of his you reviewed. Not so many great Bradley Crystal jokes. Any, not (laughs) any, unfortunately. Again, balance. (laughs) The other two screenwriting credits here go to Jason Headley of A Bad Idea Gone Wrong and Keith Boonin of Horns, Michael, with Daniel Radcliffe. I have never seen based that Based on Joe Hill's book. Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. He also wrote Nosferatu, which is a fantasy horror thriller. And this guy, Keith Boonin, also wrote In Treatment, which is the super heavy HBO half-hour drama about a therapist falling in love with his patient. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would hold up today. And this man wrote this screenplay. <laughs> this joyous, bright, and colorful <laughs> cartoon about Harry loving Potter. your brother. Harry Potter turns into the devil. At least this stuff is pretty highly critically scored and critically acclaimed. And a couple actors who've been doing a lot of highly critically acclaimed things, especially lately, are the two lead voices in this. Tom Holland, who of course is our most recent friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in both the MCU and now Sony's joint production because he pretty much cried to have them fix their marriage, those two studios, which is a literal thing, and Tom Holland has a lot of sway in Poland Hollywood right now for but a young man. we're kind of glad he did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, uh, yeah, I do not say that negatively. I'm thankful for him. Who's going to say no to Tom Holland? <laughs> really, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like saying no to a kid while you eat his ice cream. <laughs> Like the little, most adorable kid from a cartoon movie while you eat his ice cream. The boyish charm worked on these multi-billion dollar well, studios. on social media. Because they felt yeah, bad yeah. about eating his ice cream. Yes, I How agree. How is he going to pull off Uncharted? <laughs> I don't. I, we'll see if that movie actually happens. Right. But uh, someone else has done in a lot of critically acclaimed stuff lately. Chris Pratt, also of MCU fame. He's done Guardians of the Galaxy as well as these Jurassic World films. He is Barley Lightfoot. And every time his name was said... I thought of soup. <laughs> I thought of beer. No, there you go. That's the difference. That's where you, my gut is food-based. <laughs> Julie Louis-Dreyfus, she obviously has done Veep and Seinfeld. She's Laurel Lightfoot, Octavia Spencer from The Shape of Water and Loose, and Ma. She is the Manticore. Same character. Uh, one and the same, absolutely. <laughs> Lena, Lena Waithe, Tracy Ullman, Ali Wong, and of course, John Ratzenberger of Cheers, also star. Now, this was a personal story for the writer-director Dan Scanlon. He's basing it on his childhood. His dad did pass away at an early age. So he was actually inspired to write this project after hearing an audio clip of his dad. I wonder if a scene from this movie is taken directly from that inspiration moment. That would wow. Be, that would be nice. I'm glad I didn't know that going in, honestly, because I would have shed a tear. Th- this movie had some emotional wallop Absolutely. to it. We're going to talk about it with Marty coming up here in a second. Uh, but Disney announced this project at the D23 Expo in 2017. Its title was announced in 2018. But it has somewhat of a red flag, and I, don't, I didn't know if this was going to factor in today. This script was said to be rewritten in 2019 by Headley and Boonin. The guy who wrote the movie about Harry Potter turning into a devil and his buddy. (laughs) Brought in to rewrite this, once again, lovely and colorful and charismatic children's movie. But the reception thus far has been objectively positive. Onward carries an 85% Rotten Tomato score right now on 169 nice reviews on the site. Has a very, very early 97% audience score, but it does carry a 63 meta score and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. So a little bit of a differentiation between the different sites. We'll have to check in at our uh, Oscar race checkpoint quarterly episode Mm. and see if other animated films have gotten in 
with uh, higher, lower meta scores or similar meta scores. Yeah, that'd be an interesting. I, you would think if they have getting into the Oscars anyway, they would be Pixar or Disney properties, and there just haven't been that many Pixar properties that are not highly rated. That's true. Anyway, this film premiered at the 70th Berlin Film Festival this year, and it's going uh, nationwide this weekend of March 6th. It was originally project- projected to do around $44 million in its opening weekend here, but it looks like those projections are going up, Mike. Yeah, it would have, if 44 would have been very low, one of the lowest openings of a Pixar film ever. Since it started rolling in these decent reviews, and they, they're banking on positive word-of-mouth, Screen Rant just released an article tonight, as a matter of fact, as we record this on March, fifth saying that that opening is supposed to uh, balloon up to if not past 50 million dollars and that would put it on car with the opening <laughs> i should leave that in there <laughs> yeah i should leave i'm going to have to leave that in there that would put that on par with the opening of cars three as well as coco but anyway mike it is time to get our guest on here we are thrilled to have mati of the movie marathoners podcast to help us review onward today follow him at movie marapod on twitter that's m-a-r-a movie m-a-r-a pod you can listen to movie marathoners just about everywhere you get your podcast they're based on podbean but they're also on stitcher and spotify etc etc yeah as also mike told you already mati did a great job bringing the 2010s to a close with his best of the decade series he's also done terrific episodes in 2020 from his review of oscar winner 1917 to his recent show on birds of prey they and talk a lot about the sandwich in there perfect. <laughs> right at the top right up your... now i see why we booked no easily he does a great job over with the movie marathoners i'm just kidding of course and he just released an episode today as we record this again on portrait of a lady on fire so we will bring on Madi here and we will see you guys on the other side all right, on the line right now, we have Marty from the Movie Marathoners podcast. Marty, thank you for doing this, buddy. How you doing today? I am great. It is a little later than I'm used to recording, but <laughs> I am excited to be here and really, really honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me, guys. No, thanks for being here. For sure. Uh, I'm wondering, like, what your attachment is to the Pixar franchise. Are you Have you been into it for a while? And, and what did you think of this movie going in? Yeah, I mean, I grew up. I mean, I, I think I'm. You know, it's safe to say I'm a little young, younger than you guys. Uh, so How I grew dare up you, sir? Kinda, <laughs> I grew up kind of in the uh, golden age of Pixar, like Up, and um, you know, anywhere from Finding Nemo to Up. So all of those are really near and dear to my heart. I think Finding Nemo is probably my favorite movie, if that gives you any indication. Oh, wow. oh nice. Like, my level of bias for Pixar films. <laughs> and um, this guy's last film, Dan Scanlon, who directed this film, his last film was Monsters University, which I think I am quite a bit higher on than the average person because it came out right when I was going into college. So it has kind of like a, a, a near and dear place in my heart. So I was really high. You know, I had high expectations on this film just from that alone, although I do know that his films are not necessarily the Oscar kind of Pixar films. Um, so... I mean, I tend to try and avoid trailers as much as I can, but for the ones that I saw for this film, I didn't know much about it, but I knew that it was Pixar and, you know, the Pixar pedigree brings a certain level of expectations to this film. So I was expecting greatness. Yeah, I think we kind of echo what you said, but Mike, what about you? What were your expectations going into the theater tonight? I think the movie had a high floor, like Monty was saying. I think uh, the ceiling was probably a little lower on it. I, I don't think I was expecting that Oscar film. 
Look, I, I, like I said in the intro, I think we got to do some research on Metascores and see if a 63, if, if other Oscar noms at the end of the day got in with lower than a 63. But, like, to me, I am a huge fantasy nerd. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> I read the novels. I watch the sh- TV shows. You like going to Mordor and fighting Dumbledore? Is that oh, one of those things? I I would love that. That would be a fantasy mashup. I hate everything. Marty, about I this. mean, do you do you like fantasy at all? Or uh, you, yeah. I mean, you're a you're a medical man. You're a you're a science guy. Yeah, I am. But actually, um, all of the different like lab uh, rooms in our lab are named after different kind of like fantasy things so we just renamed one of our lab spaces mordor and there's another one that's <laughs> narnia and uh can't think of the other ones off the top of my head but yeah i'm i'm steeped in that sort of stuff does mordor perhaps have a antidote for the coronavirus <laughs> by chance, any, any chance not that type of, that? of research man Can we but, get bond um, back we kind of had a thing going for bond there <laughs> yeah but i mean based on what i heard from you know previous episodes that i was listening to it's that mike one you kind of needed that time a little bit you were falling behind right you hadn't even started so now you have plenty of time to catch up, right? <laughs> that's true yeah that's, that's right i can get right on top of it seven months of mire just... myself in the misery that has been a couple of these early bond movies but hopefully we're going to be a little higher on onward as we go on here we'll talk about the plot premise as it's listed on imdb it says set in a suburban fantasy world two teenage elf brothers embark on a quest to discover if there is still magic out there what do you think about that premise overall Marty? first of all did you know about it going in and if so or if not what word or words there might stick out to you now that you've seen the film um good question uh i guess so what i knew about the film was that it was chris pratt and tom holland and they were going to be play brothers and then from the trailer i found that they were going to make some spell to bring their dad back to life Mm -hmm. right um i guess the the word that sticks out there is quest and you know it is was pretty clear that it was going to be a road trip kind of movie. And I think it did live up to that for the most part. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a pretty straightforward premise because this film is from a plot standpoint, pretty straightforward. I would absolutely agree with that. As a matter of fact, we often like to heckle these premises, but there's there's not (laughs) a lot to heckle here. And I thought the trailers were dazzling. I mean, we, we love the trailers throughout the I want year. so badly to have trash unicorns just be a day-to-day part of my <laughs> life more than anything that I took yeah. from this movie so yeah. I wish there was more of them in the film honestly. me too me too <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with going down the list here and talking about production values. I, for one, was a huge sucker for how this looked. And I know we're kind of, you know, telling an A-plus student good job, essentially, by commenting right. on how Pixar does well <laughs> with graphics. But I, I was stunned by how this looked. There's a couple scenes in particular. One, you're dealing with red smoke that I thought was stunning. Mm. I thought the way they dealt with water and how water affects hair specifically was really, really kind of amazing. Was there anything site-wise that sticks that stuck out to you, Marty? Uh, I, I'm just remembering the water, and I just recently rewatched Ratatouille, which I think is kind of one of Pixar's best films. And it is so funny to watch that film that even in whenever that came out in 2006, Pixar was flexing with their water animation. Mm-hmm. They love just putting water wherever they can, so that was beautiful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, in this film too, uh, I thought just in general with the creature designs, the creature designs were pretty interesting, and specifically like the hair on the manticore always looks great. Ever. It has ever since Monsters, Inc. Yep. Um, And then there was one scene that was pretty spectacular to me was when later in the film when they're kind of maybe perhaps doing some Lord of the (laughs) Rings-esque travel (laughs) through New Zealand type 
footage, um, there was some really glorious kind of landscape shots that just looked incredible. They did a lot with the sun, with the sunsets mm-hmm. and the sunlight at the beginning of the film. Yeah. You had all that specks of whatever dust in the air mm-hmm. on the, uh, the the graphics of the, the word onward. I thought that was terrific. Uh, I, I loved what they did with the highway guys. I mean, look, again, cartoon characters driving, it's been a problem in a lot of these <laughs> Pixar films, especially <laughs> you're finding Dory there. But... But uh, even though I don't want kids to learn how to drive from these movies, I thought the highway scenes were terrifying. I mean, that's some of their best graphics. I mean, everything was cluttered. It was it was crazy. Like you said, the uh, prologue had some good visuals, uh, and then those fairies, right? I mean, how fast they're fla- they're flapping those wings. Yeah. I mean, you can see all the definition of it. It's really stark. I don't know what's left for them to do. Like, where do we draw the line between what Pixar is capable of and just having them shoot real-life things? Because it's getting that close now. I mean, there's some of this stuff, especially from a distance, like you said, going into the highway with those faraway shots, that looks like the greatest game of Mario Kart none of us will ever get to play, essentially. (laughs) Well, it just goes to show you that, like, you know, the live-action remakes could look lifelike for a reason. And basically, Disney just deep-faked, you know, everybody (laughs) with The Lion King. And... And in, and in this case, I mean, like we talked about throughout our Pixar rewatch, I mean, it has to be caricature as much as it is realism. And you get a bit of both here. Like, that's a realistic highway with these goofy yeah. ass, big faced, giant eyed cartoon characters trying to merge on it. You're feeling for those giant yeah. eyed characters trying to merge on it because of that. I, I loved it. That was a, a thing, Madi, too. One of the one of the themes of this was not just that it's a fantasy film, not that that is just a quest film, but it was merging this the real life aspect with this magical fantastical world does any kind of movie or plot you can think of spring to i know i'm springing this question on you but it just kind of popped into my head is there anything that you can kind of compare what kind of the overall tone of this film was to anything you've seen oh man i am actually terrible at questions like that like whenever people throw up that makes two of us and that's why i asked and didn't answer (laughs) i got a couple guys well all right let me just take it then because i i mean mike and i were talking about the goonies before we started today and i feel Uh, like the goonies is is something similar you know you got the kid in king arthur's court a lot of disney movies like that the the, the one that just came out the kid who would be king is that is is basically same king yeah what's going on here and then oh there's one more and i'm forgetting it but page master Macaulay Culkin. Oh, wow. That's a deep oh, cut. Okay. Never-ending yeah, stories, wow. another, you know, that kind of thing. I, I would say it's right smack in that genre. But I'm laughing because Mike makes fun of me for being a mid-80s baby <laughs> and always going back, hearkening back to these. But you guys are younger than me. And they kind of went off of this. The yeah, that's true. Thing. Probably after Pagemaster. That's true. That they, kind of, they may have, they may have yeah. done that purposefully and gone a little deeper into the well there. Uh, they just didn't know you were swimming in the well, so there's that. <laughs> I swooped in on their question. But, uh, Monty, what do you think of the, the sound of this movie? We kind of touched on the site. A- anything strike you? I'm, we're, we're notoriously score deaf in terms of these movies. What did you think about the, vi- uh, the audio uh, of Onward? Yeah, I'm not particularly amazing at identifying brilliant pieces of music or anything like that, but I did think that the music in this was really excellent. And oh, good. I don't know who who did the score. It doesn't seem like, you know, one of the five staples that every movie over a hundred million dollars budget has. Right. It's no Michael Giacchino (laughs) or anything. But I thought that he did a really good job of mixing kind of the um, well, you know, like just the same way that this film mixes the very modern suburbia 
feels with it with like the rock music that Chris Pratt's character likes and then also the kind of fantastical music of that so I really enjoyed the kind of the recurrent musical themes as well like there was one that played in the end of the credits that was played earlier in the movie and it was a nice callback to that yeah and and I think the songs because like you said they did interject the rock music at one Mm -hmm. point they did interject the fantasy music and I think it was all original as well so that was kind of cool to see even though they didn't have a best original song uh, nominee it seems Mike what'd you think of the sound yeah, I didn't write anything in for the sound. That was like the first question I got asked you when I when we got out of the theater. I was like, "What was the score again? Can you sing it for me?" Yes. No, I'm notoriously horrible with uh, with scores after one watch. I gotta like literally force myself to write stuff down. But I re- I remember you saying it was fantastic. So I'll, I'll go with that. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Good. We'll move on <laughs> to performances, Marty. I actually, Mike and I have talked about this. We actually have kind of a a downgrade on one of these leading performances, but I wanted to get your take. Did any one performance stun you or disappoint you in particular? So nobody necessarily stunned me. I guess if I had to pick the one that was my favorite of the kind of the main performances, I would say Chris Pratt's performance as, well, maybe it was just his character and he really does play lovable oaf very well before he got all hot and sexy for Guardians (laughs) of the Galaxy. Uh, So I I really appreciated him as the older brother that was just, you know, he was oafish, but he was always so supportive of Tom Holland's character. And we're we're not in spoilers yet, right? No, not not yet. Not quite yet. Okay. But just, you know, the, just from early on in the film, you can see, you can tell that he just has this affection and this uh, brotherly love for Tom Holland that I think he really does a good job voice acting that in a way that another actor would play it a little more straight. And I think uh, Chris Pratt is able to really kind of show the tenderness of that character through his voice. Yeah, they almost it's almost as if they watched Parks and Rec on Netflix and mm-hmm. like, well, wait, why don't we just get Andy Dwyer to play the Andy Dwyer older brother role? Yep. <laughs> I, I thought he was perfect. And I I bought him yeah. as like a 22 year old mm-hmm. somehow. And yet Tom Holland, who I know is like 22, 23, 24. <laughs> I didn't buy him trying to do like the wholesome voice. Like, look, I feel like Tom Holland's character, the main character mm-hmm. for the whole first act. I, I guess this is a little bit on purpose, but he was almost too wholesome and innocent to live. Like I work, work with this age group. And if a kid like this came up to me, I would be suspicious of him immediately. I would just, I would he was loose. No, I, yeah, I would think he's loose. I would think he's putting me on. I would think this is like this is way too just nice. I I share what you're saying in the sense that it felt to me, especially for the first half of the movie. I don't know if it's a lack of voiceover reps. I don't know if they got him when he was tired on some days. I just felt Tom Holland was not nearly as involved or emotionally invested as some other voiceover characters in this. And it could be for a litany of reasons. I'm not sure. But I, I share what you yeah. say about uh, not being crazy about it. Are we talking out our backsides here, Marty? Uh, No, I mean, I don't disagree. I think a lot of his lines are very on the nose in terms mm, of agree. very quickly setting up his... Uh, I guess lack of better word, daddy issues and character motivations. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of his things are just, oh, shucks, I love my dad kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know how anybody else would necessarily play that any different. I, I love Tom Holland as an actor. I think he Same. is easily one of the best actors of, you know, the 20 somethings or whatever. But I, I thought he was fine as kind of just like, you know, he he's not a character that has a ton of 
things about him. He very much seems kind of just like a, a vessel, almost like that you're you're kind of in his place going along. And Chris Pratt is the more animated character that has mm. the personality that's kind of your like uh, guide into this world, so to speak. Yeah, I liked how uh, how Chris Pratt played off him, kind of brought Tom Holland's mm-hmm. charisma out as the movie went along. I, I do like the ensemble cast here, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, although I think I would have preferred her as Selena Meyer, <laughs> as <laughs> Selena <laughs> Meyer mom. Because, guys, I mean, think about it. Because if at the end of the first sequence where everybody's just like, oh, we miss your da- we miss our dad, right? Mm-hmm. And they're hugging. It's really sweet, right? If that wasn't that, and instead it was, I'm glad your father wasn't alive to see you now. What would have been the, the plot would have been crazy. would have been a hard left turn for Pixar, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I just say, you know, I just do think sometimes you, you really got to stir shit up when you're writing things. And I, I agree with Marty. I think it's just like, oh, shucks, I love my dad. I think Dan Scanlon was a little gun-shy of criticizing his former grieving self. Because, I mean, this is a true story for him in many ways. Do you, do, do you wonder that? Or maybe the writers who rewrote this story, who knew that he had the real shit going on, maybe, maybe they were gun-shy and kind of rounding that character early? Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure how sincere you are being with the selena meyer character as uh well, <laughs> as being, i'm, I'm you know, half serious because i yeah. do think there should have been some conflict early that wasn't just the big you have hallmark card written down here you think it was a hallmark family basically i i thought it was like a hallmark movie a yeah. little bit right yeah i mean i i wrote this down that i i thought that the you know it's it's cool that this is an original story but it's not necessarily an original story if that makes sense like hmm. You know, it's not based off of anything, and it's clearly coming from Dan Scanlon's mind or whoever you know rewrote the the story or whatever. But it is a very basic and straightforward premise and plot, and I think that that is, I think, ultimately the the most disappointing part of this film because Pixar has such a low ceiling, like you or no, sorry, low floor, like you said. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like this thing does anything where it's like wow, only Pixar can pull this off. And maybe if there was a bit more of that um, kind of jaded mother character or something that just wasn't <laughs> as, like, G about this film, then that would certainly help to kind of elevate this to just that, you know, that next that next uh, tier of Pixar films that's sort of like, oh, wow, I can't believe they went there. Yeah, I think that's a great point you guys are both making. It's almost like... Your Pixar, you should have more for us leaving the theater with than just the amazing visuals to, for us to talk about. There's got to be something new. I guess maybe you could make the argument that the new thing or where they put their concentration, I'm hoping they can provide something new, was the uh, brother relationship that was such a yeah. focus of this movie throughout. Uh, we've already started talking about script thoughts, but we can get into it a little more. Uh, Madi, Mike and I both are brothers. We've talked about our siblings multiple times on this show. Are you an only child? Do you have any siblings of your own? No, I am an older brother. I have one brother who's three years younger than me, which I mm. think might be this exact same age gap as these guys because they're 16 and uh, Tom Holland's character is 16 and uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus says that Chris Pratt is on a gap year. Gap year, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. I think she said the 16, longest 19. gap year ever. Too. Yeah, yeah. Been like longest 27. gap year. <laughs> oh, yeah, so he's just, he's milking. Oh, okay, yeah. So as an older brother, though, Matty, did you, I mean, obviously you brought that to the theater with you. Did you find this movie speaking to you in certain ways as an older brother? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I rarely cry in movies or even tear up or anything, but this one got me uh, 
towards the end. I think this is a pretty mediocre film with a very great ending, and it's because of the relationship between those two brothers. Uh, it almost felt like Dan Scanlon just wanted to tell a story about two brothers, but Pixar felt that the film needed some sort of hook, mm. and so they brought all these fantasy elements into the film to kind of make it like, oh, this is the the kind of the Pixar concept being that's elevating this normal story. But I thought that the best parts of this film weren't the fantasy elements. It was the story between the brothers. And it, yes. it really worked for me in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Well, I definitely think we got to examine that in spoilers coming up. But uh, I do think the adult characters were written pretty well. I love how... Yeah. We have Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Octavia Spencer. They are not just clueless 80s movies parents. If these were the parents of any John Hughes movie, <laughs> they, they would just, you know, like shake their hands and yell at them. Or the parents from Dirty Dancing. That's what I was trying to think of. Dirty <laughs> Dancing parents, and they're just jerks or whatever. Then the, this movie would have just been, only the kids could save the day. And that would have felt strange because the mother is like very, you know, with it. And, and, right, and she gets her son. And it's a it's a loving family dynamic early on. It's not this lack of communication. I mean, they've drawn closer because of the father's death. So it made sense to have her be capable and intuitive with her son. You're kind of explaining, too, maybe why they didn't go the Selena Meyer route at all. Maybe they wanted to have what yeah, Bobby said, the, this family dynamic. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to have this Touching. be like a wholesome, like a baked banana bread, you know? Like just something hearty and wholesome and reliable. Sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> It's an odd metaphor, but sure. <laughs> I'm starving, Marty. That's what that metaphor is. <laughs> I love. It I had so much popcorn like at this movie. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't watch a movie in theaters without popcorn. So, and I always get the the free refill bucket, which is you know like eight dollars, and I eat the whole thing because I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, good psycho. for you. Yeah, I missed dinner, and I stopped at Subway <laughs> beforehand, and I was like freaking knuckles deep in a meatball <laughs> grinder and mike's test texted me like where are you it's <laughs> like a brewer. that was my but it, no i'm still hungry in the baked banana bread uh metaphor for i'm glad i could pull that out for mise, all three of us to share that moment that together that, that uh let's <laughs> talk about the oscars possibilities of this is this a best animated feature nomination for last year's show Marty? uh just as a means of recap we had toy Ooh. story 3 Pretty much, uh, Toy Story 4, excuse me. But they voted on Toy Story 3, remember? (laughs) Right, they might have done that. But Toy Story 4, pretty much once we got to the Oscars Eve, we all knew, we saw the signs that that was going to end up winning. Klaus uh, won something in the meantime as well. Uh, There were people that were very high on how I I lost my body uh, as well. But how would you think that this movie stacked up against last year's field there, Madi? Against last year's field, I think... You know, I mean, I think it's been a while since I've seen Toy Story 4, but that film, when I'm thinking about just the kind of skill in mm-hmm. the filmmaking yeah. of that film, Toy Story 4 is miles ahead of something like Onward. I would And agree. I would say that this is much more similar to a film like Monsters University, which I do love, and I love the kind of the message of that film, but it is from a production and just kind of a, an ambition and scope level, it's nothing like some of Pixar's greatest, which are the ones that I think are the most deserving of Oscars, like Inside Out and Finding Nemo, things like that. I I could I could see an argument for it. I, I did not see Missing Link. I have no intention of seeing Missing Link anymore since I missed it during last year's season. Right. Um, but, you know, even something like I Lost My Body, that is significantly more... I mean, I mean, I don't... 
I don't want to make this seem like a, an insult on Onward. It's more of a praise of I Lost My Body, but that mm-hmm. is a, a very inventive film in a way that this isn't. So, um, and even something like How to Train Your Dragon 3, I think that's a breathtakingly beautiful film. So, I mean, I guess I could maybe see it, you know, replacing The Missing Link just because I haven't seen that <laughs> film. Um, I wouldn't hate that this would get nominated for an Oscar, but I would be very shocked if it won it, especially with Soul coming out later in the year. I think I'm right. I'm right there with you. Missing Link. I put it over Missing Link. I put it over Mirai of two years ago. Probably I put it over Ralph breaks, breaks the Internet. Just over. I, I was okay. Say it's about par. Yeah, about there. In, that, in terms of the last two years, I'm looking at it. The Boss Baby was funny, but I probably put it over that. It was the greatest <laughs> film of all time. Loving Vincent. I would put it over that. Yes, the I worst know that film was of all time. Gorgeous, but it was so <laughs> fucking boring. My God, the most boring movie. Since uh, Mr. Turner, thank you. There you go. Well, Mr. We are referencing Mr. Turner far too much for any movie podcast. These are inside jokes that we're just throwing at our guest willy nilly right now because it's very late at night. Yeah, man, I don't even know <laughs> what Mr. Turner is, so it's going right over you're, my you're, head. You're right where you need to be with that movie, then. <laughs> but okay, uh, don't watch. Uh, it sounds like we're all relatively high on this movie. We think it's worth a watch, right, Ma- Matty? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think also if you have kids, they're going to fucking love this thing. Agree. I I probably shouldn't have cussed and said kids in the same sentence. uh, (laughs) Those little fuckers will love this. Rebellious nine-year-olds are our target audience anyway, so you're fine. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, But yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's certainly not a film that I remotely regret watching. And like I said, it made me cry. And so I, I can't hate a film that makes me cry. So it, it was tears or like, you know, welling up in the eyes. I wasn't bawling, but I've like done that in one or two movies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think this film has a simple but sweet message to say. And the film has so much heart and you can tell that it's near and dear to the director and the writers. So definitely worth checking out. Mike, you echo? Yeah, it reminded me of Brave a little bit. It was kind of, you know, maybe a couple points down from Brave. But I I was surprised to get a movie this good. So definitely a watch from me, and we'll have a great on uh, at the end of the episode. Yeah, all right. I'm the watch as well. Uh, I think you guys said it best. We'll jump into spoilers. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. section of Pixar's Onward, the Oscar Sprint Profile, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We have our special guest, Madi, of the Movie Marathoners podcast online with us. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause on this episode, go to your local theater, go check this movie out. You come back, we'll be waiting for you when you come back and hit play. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, or if you're just so obsessed with hearing what happens in this movie, because we set it up for you in the non-spoiler section, this is where you need to be. It's all spoilers all the time for the Oscar Sprint profile of Pixar's Onward, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Like I said, we have Madi. So, the way we're going to start the spoiler section, as we usually do, is with immediate carryovers, Michael. Okay, crybaby. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) What made made the waterworks go? You know, man, um, 
Hey, thanks for coming on our show, <laughs> Monty, by the way. Thanks for coming on our show. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but you, you kind of peer pressured me into going with that. Because it popped into my head, and then you guys are like, all right. Your, your glorious idea was to call me Crybaby. That, that was, that your, was like... it. That was it. I told you it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> I tried okay. to tell you. Okay. He was referencing well, the Johnny um... Depp movie from 1990. It was a compliment more than an insult. <laughs> I'm going to try and recover from that and get through my thoughts here. Um, yeah, so, I mean, just the scene when Tom Holland's character finally realizes that, you know, this the, the whole movie is him. He wants to see his dad because he never saw his dad and hmm. he's never had his dad before. And he eventually realizes that, oh, wow, what a novel concept. He actually did have a dad. It was his older brother the whole time. And as obvious of a message that is and as, um, you know, easy it is to see that from the idea of this film is about two brothers that go on an adventure you know it just worked for me um whether it was like the musical swell or the kind of really cute flashbacks of baby elves or whatever they're supposed to be kind of pushing each other and looking after each other and so it just really made me reflect on my relationship with my brother who i mean fortunately we we do have a dad and he's a fantastic dad but there is always that that feeling that you have as an older brother that you're looking after your younger brother and you are, you know, you can bully him and you can make fun of him. But the second that somebody else does it, um, the claws come out and you just want to completely defend him. And it just really made me want to hug my brother. Um, I did not see this with my brother, but I would have loved to have watched this film with my brother. Yeah. The thing you ended on there is what I was going to pick up. Obviously that's the heart and soul and focus of this movie is the kind of the relationship between these two brothers. And as the only younger brother in this podcast right now of the three of us, I can say that I, I it's the exact same thing. It actually provided some perspective to me that you see the trials and tribulations that mm -hmm. your older brother goes through. And Good. sometimes you forget those things. And so I said to Mike, actually in the pre-production, like you just said, Monty, I want to see this with my brother. And then Mike reminded me that he would hug me and cry. And then I said, that's why I can't see this with my brother. So Shmave, if and when you're listening to this, we'll see this movie, but you need to sit way away from me because I, I'm just not emotionally available <laughs> no, for that kind of thing. He deserves you to be right there. <laughs> no, I can't. And I he, can't. Does, he should be able to hold your hand, I, pat you on the back, hug. My anxiety no. won't let me do these I have these four things. younger brothers and I deserve to watch this movie with my younger brothers, <laughs> you especially Yes, those I that I changed diapers of when yes. I was 14 and they were born. You piss ant little younger, younger <laughs> brother. You deserve you deserve this. And Monty, I, look, I was deflecting earlier in my snarkiness or however I started. Yeah, aren't you the crier, man? I was, I was really, it got to me. I, it totally got to me. Now, I didn't cry this time because I'm an emotional. I got know, goosebumps. I didn't cry, but I, I got, definitely you were gonna, got goosebumps. I thought, I thought you were going to dig in and be it. like, I didn't cry because I'm not a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> Doubling down there. Yeah. No, I, Take that. I would. So I'm not I could a little have. If I, yeah. let, if I let myself, if I like thought for two seconds about the coronavirus and how we're probably going to get it after making so many jokes about it in the last could episode. Be, yeah. Yeah. You know, I could have. I, I, I could have got myself there. Like as an actor or something, but no. <laughs> but, it, but but the close. underlying, but you share the sentiment. You want to see this. I mean, that's kind of yeah. the feeling we all had at that moment. And there were a lot of missteps, but the the brother relationship is one of the highlights. But let's let's concentrate on the missteps before we all start welling up and tearing and wanting to call our brothers <laughs> here. Uh, Madi, what were some of the we we talked about Tom Holland? Well, we weren't all that impressed. Is there anything that glaring other than that that kind of stuck out to you as man? I have a really tough time getting over this. Yeah. Cheetos disintegrate in water. I thought the same thought, Marty. <laughs> oh, that's good. Right? Like, 
Ugh. They, they, they disintegrate instantly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand so, the, the the physics of that. Maybe when you get when you cast the enormous spell, they get some kind of sturdier in them. But especially if you're going to dig into your boat and eat them, like Chris Pratt's character was, yeah. that would be a, a, a it'd be dead. It would have been funny if it was a soggy Cheeto at the end of it, right? If it was getting <laughs> yes. soggy and he was like sinking into the back. Like, that would have been hilarious. Yes. Uh, missed out. Yeah, I mean. That's that's a nitpick, but I guess you know, just in general, the the I did like the spells overall, but that shrinking and growing spell is always there's always logical things that you kind of have to roll your eyes at. Like they said that it wears off after a while, but if if the spell wears off, then, oh never mind, never mind. They they got actual gas. I was gonna say the gas would shrink again, and they would run out of gas if the spell were never mind. But no, but you're right. But, that was but a no, dumb but, plan. But gas, yeah. gas was one of my nitpicks as well. Don't, they have ten dollars of gas they've put into this empty <laughs> tank, right? And they're able to outrun the cops and yeah. do all these things and floor it and go miles on ten bucks of gas all in this long. economy. Ten bucks all night long <laughs> yeah. over mountains in this economy where there's magic. Still, I mean, why do you need money <laughs> right. at all? You know, I mean, like. But I guess you you kind of you you made it. we all make these assumptions in these fantasy films. But yes, there is a ton of coincidence right mike a lot of coincidences and we kind of had a spat in the pre-production today where you were like this happens in all fantasy movies and i was like no <laughs> it only happens in the bad ones and we had a long spat i thought it was gonna be a big argument monty i really did but it, it, we, we kind of came to the point where lord the end of lord of the rings proved my point oh, i said it's my it's a me problem absolutely this is not true it's it's me yeah there's there's coincidences in in, in fantasy storytelling in in the way that it's just like low-hanging fruit, right? It's easy to do. Like, if you set up mm-hmm. a magic system, you can kind of get carried away with Deus that. Ex Magica. Yeah. Well, you, well, you see it happening all the time with fantasy sequels, mm-hmm. I would say, especially in the in books or any kind of fantasy novels that you'd read out there. The sequels can really just totally just absolutely go batshit uh, on all this nonsense and and in this particular movie i think they made some jokes about some of the spells but when he's like reciting two or three spells in a row at the end i'm like come on bullshit you could you barely do one before know it all that quickly yeah they said study up and he looked at the book all right i get it i mean i'm with them but coincidences yeah that is always horseshit when like the main character is able to learn the impossible spells and like literally 24 hours when in this James film. Bond, like, yeah. When James Bond learned karate <laughs> in one night. <laughs> yeah, but James Bond is British and well, they're there you the go. greatest people <laughs> in this world. <laughs> anyway, uh, I also thought the, uh, the Manticore's character was a little, yeah. I'll just say volatile because she didn't want a one-star review of a restaurant, right? And, and she didn't want these boys taking a piece of paper off the walls. So, of course, you know, logic would say that she just burns the entire place down two minutes later. <laughs> You'd think that she'd have a little bit more stability in her life than, you know, being <laughs> completely breaking down mentally by a poster that she put up on her own wall. She or does have a... Out, but psychotic break there it's like she's talking about taxes she's talking about all like the nitty-gritty of just running a business and then boom burn it all to the ground didn't make sense (laughs) i agree i'm kind of more interested in the the changeover from this fantastical magical reliant world to 
where they are now in their more civilized society. They basically echo us, but they still have the magic elements there. Like, I want to see the story of progression of society more so than I want to see this tale of two brothers getting in. But but aren't we actually, like, and, and Maddie said this already, aren't we actually just nitpicking? Isn't, isn't, I mean, the biggest problem might be kind of the ease of which this story is told and there's not a lot of complexities. Isn't the biggest downfall actually its biggest strength in that this is Pixar and we kind of expect more, Maddie? Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think that in a film where you have this kind of world buildy aspect to it, the the straightforward plot wouldn't be as big of an issue if they had kind of full and leaned into the world building. But right. there's really not that much stuff. I mean, we were talking, right. I think, pre-show about the, uh, the unicorn things that ended up actually just being street raccoons or whatever. Right. That's really funny. But that is really one of the only flavor things that you really get to look at you you see one uh shot of them walking through and you know like walking through a plane and there's a uh, an actual jet plane flying over street uh, overhead that's really cool but there's not a lot of this world building let's dissect what how this world works and what parts are like ours and what parts are still fantastical it's really just suburbia but ev you know there's horse cops like there's <laughs> there's there's nothing particularly um interesting on like an economic level or anything that's kind of poking or looking at how the society of this works when you have like some people that are huge and other people that are really small that's a similar problem that i have in something like monsters university where it only ever so slightly hints at what is it like when you have a slug that's a student and also somebody who can fly and also somebody who has like seven arms and stuff so I, I would have liked to have seen more of that if they were going with such a straightforward story. So I think I, I agree with you in terms of the review. I think those are great points, yeah. And I agree with you, Mike, when you say you want to see, like, the Sims version right, of this right, right. and be able to play around with the world building a little <laughs> more. But I fear, however, that that movie has already been made and it was called Bright and I don't yeah. want to see that movie again. Oh, Christ Almighty! Will yeah. Smith. Well, <laughs> I did not see that movie just because I don't heard it see was very movie. bad. Yeah, just don't even see it. I think that's a good place to to have a warning for this episode. If nothing else from our review, the three of us just don't watch. Bright. Don't watch Bright. Don't watch the second to last Bond we watched. Right. I don't even remember the title. Oh, so you only live twice. Don't yes. watch that one. All right, but we can transition from the worst, and maybe they are a little nitpicky. But again, it's Pixar's kind of a double-edged sword here. They're so good that maybe our expectations are so high every time, but they are still Pixar. So there were still goods to start with. So, Mike, how about some highlights? I just want to run with that point for a second. And the, the fact that uh, our feelings about this movie are we're spoiled by mm -hmm. Pixar. Right. And it's a really yeah. good movie, but we expect more. Is kind of like a spoiled younger brother who <laughs> is I feel like you're going bigger for something than here, but his I just older brother in size. He has a beard mm -hmm. and he's he's large and yeah. the younger brother's smaller. You got to be and, more specific. I'm not catching it. And the bigger, older, bigger, younger brother doesn't really get what his his wonderful brother. That's his I name. gave him one compliment this episode. That's enough. <laughs> I'm Team Schmave. Just uh, for the record, on this pod podcast again, inside jokes, boxing out my uh, my guest host here. But well, I just think it's cool that you have a uh, you, you have that meta theme going on in a way. And I I do wonder. I do wonder if. Dan Scanlon's personal story was something the rewriters kind of shied away from. They left that stuff in. They almost 
they almost made it softer early on. I wonder if Scanlon's story was a little more hard-edged early and, and more and too emotional because they had him rewrite it. At, that these two guys rewrite it at the eleventh hour, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we had Act One problems. Act Two is a fun road trip. This movie worked. Amadi, uh, some more best from you. I think the humor in the film works pretty well. Agree. It's not as you know roll on the floor laughing as some of the Pixar films are, but there's a lot of really you know, little cute nods and things like that. I, I don't know if you guys picked up on the the diner that they drove past in the very beginning said, <laughs> now serving second breakfast. Which, oh, I didn't uh, see that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm assuming that is has to be a Lord of the Rings reference, so that was cute. Yeah, the gelatinous cube, the, the manticore mascot. I'm sure there's a lot of little things, little touches in there. Uh, all the stuff with the car, Guinevere, they really did a good job with, with some details. What did you guys think of the fairies? I was laughing pretty hard at the fairies. Yeah, are, are they pixies, I think, pixies. technically? Fairies. Is there a yeah. difference? Yes. Whoa. Do you Whoa, know man. the di- Is yeah. this a fantasy Whoa. thing and I'm just not no, that cool? I, no, Marty's right. They're, oh. they're pixies. <laughs> <laughs> Marty reacted so strongly. I thought I was going to get yelled at for a second, but was, it was just leaving me on. Yeah. yeah. They are right. not the same. Yeah. How dare you? It's like I thought I stepped on a landmine just now. Like I'm getting called to the principal's office. I actually didn't love the Pixies that much, to be honest. I thought somehow they felt really unoriginal to me, even though I don't think I've ever actually seen biker Pixies. It's just something about small things being angry is very, like, low-hanging fruit. They should all be that... arrested, correct? I mean, they, you know... <laughs> The Pixies yes, immediately. Yes. I mean, they were just trying to murder two young boys who, <laughs> what, knocked yeah. their bikes over? Yeah, that's a yeah. problem. That's a problem. I think, I think uh, to echo what Madi said, too, it's it, it's almost like there's this minion fatigue out there. I, I don't know where we got done with worse, but, like, everyone wants their, their version of the minion. They want their little cuddly person that's going to come out and just, you know, sweep the nation. They want their baby Yoda. That's why we have baby nut, which is... A, a, a crime against humanity. What is a Plantis horrible is sentence or like saying? <laughs> I know. How, I'm not happy with happen? it. <laughs> I'm not happy with it, Marty. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it's just the monosyllabic names they have to have. <laughs> right. So I, I think there's that thing going on. But I, I thought overall, correct me if I'm wrong, Marty. I thought the film ha- certainly had more good than bad. Oh, absolutely. And I would say, even for all the flaws or faults that this film has, I would 100% take this over an Incredibles 3. Because it is an original story. And we get so few of those that even if it's kind of like a a soft single or double or whatever, you know, they still got on base. I think it's it's a good film, for sure. So we all kind of mentioned the finale at the beginning. The the funniest part for me was when the, the dragon mascot logo is put yep. pl- yes, plastic yes. on the face, but I mean I that was laughing. a visually <laughs> visually spectacular finale. I mean, you guys, you guys really loved it. Yeah, I I think what you're hitting on specifically that instance, Monty made the point about humor overall. While it wasn't, you know, we weren't guffawing. You and I, Mike, we had some laugh out loud moments in this movie, and yeah. I think it it hit it hit Petty. You know, if you want to go back to the baseball analogy, it was like a solid hit to the gap in terms of comedy that landed. And I thought the story, while not overly complicated, and maybe yeah, a bit of a letdown for Pixar standards. I think they relied so heavily on the emotional investment of like if you have a brother or a sibling or a relationship with your father yeah. or even your mother because of the things Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character was doing, which was badass, you're going to find some way to relate to this movie and it's going to tug at your heartstrings and then you might be able to call your friend a crybaby on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But I'm glad this movie wasn't too much of a world-building 
uh, fantasy trope heavy kind of thing for you in particular, Mike. I'm glad you were you were able to like this despite. Yeah, we, fantasy has a tough bar, and to kind of bring it all full circle, this is enough. Spe- it, it has enough specifics to satisfy the hardcore fantasy geeks like Mike, like Marty here, and it has enough to people who have a Easter bias eggs. against fantasy, like myself. Right. Yeah, it's got enough mm-hmm. to, to feed on. Them. But I think the like the craziest aspects of this movie were cops chasing them and was a dragon assembled with school and most of all it was that highway right I yeah. mean that highway was terrifying merging <laughs> on the highway but it was the suburban emphasis on suburban fantasy more right? relatable stuff yeah I, I did want to touch on this because I, I thought Monty did a great job bringing it up before so we have a guy who lost his father at a young age and I thought it was going to be a strange form of therapy if at the end of the story it was him talking to his father and mm-hmm. having big moments with his father, right? I mean, it would have been like contact level awkward. All right, not contact level awkward with Jodie Foster, but definitely awkward. And, and I thought the way they handled it at arm's length was very poignant. It was, you know, to have it go through the brother, you know, all right, Dan Scanlon never knew his dad, but the brother knew the father, and then the brother is the father to, to him, the father figure. So that worked. Yeah, I thought it was very realistic in the sense that, like, you know, I think if you were to give this character this moment, it would have felt a little disingenuous because you don't get those moments in real life. And that reminded me a lot. Of, can I spoil Monsters University? Absolutely. OK. <laughs> um, I don't remember what happens at the end of that movie. <laughs> well, it reminds me very much of Monsters University because in that film also, um, not also Mike, but Mike in that film, um, <laughs> he does not get what he wants at the end of that film. He does not become a scare student. He is not scary. And the whole point of that movie is to say that sometimes it's okay to just be okay. And there are things that you don't get in your mm-hmm. life, which is kind of a depressing message for a kid's movie. Yeah. But it's similar here that, you know, Tom Holland's character did not get the thing that he was striving to get the entire movie. He realized that he already had it and he became content with the things that he already had. But I thought that that ending moment was the best part of the movie. I I think I I really love the, um, the closure of this film. Yeah. I I love that you say, I think that's a really, really fantastic point. It's not one that I, I had considered. And I think you hit it right on the head as well, but Whereas you were tearing up at that one part in the movie, I was tearing up at that part where, you know, Tom Holland's character doesn't get that fulfillment. He doesn't have that moment with his father, but you're absolutely right. It would have felt quite disingenuous. It wouldn't have made tonal sense, I don't think, either. Mm -hmm. I will say it is kind of weird that Chris Pratt's character in this couldn't say goodbye to a parent that was sick. And the kind of culmination of the film ends with him confronting that fact. Um, Does that sound familiar to anybody? I do remember. I don't remember this Monsters sequel from our Pixar rewatch because we were just up to our eyes in Pixar movies. I remember the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy because I'll never be able to forget that. Oh. Ever, right? Yeah. That's a great wow. point. Yeah, it is a fantastic. God, you, Maddie brought the heat. I like <laughs> Thank it. Thank you, man. I like it. I mean, <laughs> I if you, great you know, take out the him yelling at me for not knowing Pixies and Fairies and making me feel small, but <laughs> we, other than we that. threw you a gauntlet today. <laughs> Marty, we didn't make it easy on you. It's very late at night. We are manic. We are strange. And you no, hung I, in, and we appreciate it. No, this is great. This is, great. This is going fantastic for me. All right, so sweating look. for a little bit at the beginning, but I am 
almost not sweating now, so we are good to go. Well, you're in med school, so that's at least now the second hardest thing you've had to do in your life, as we no doubt take first on that priority. No, uh, I'm actually I'm getting my fake fake doctor. I'm a the PhD, so don't don't expect me to save your life. Not med school. Impressed. Somebody no. has to, so I hope it will be you because I'm running out of options, quite frankly. But that's good to know. That's uh, pressure. Pressure. Very impressive. All right, so let's put a bow on this practice here. Uh, we will put final grades in this, Maddie. Once again, we thank you very much for joining us. But let's let's put our final thoughts. We have a movie here that we're all very high on. We have a movie that we think has more good than bad, even though it has all kinds of pratfalls in it. You guys see what I did there? You, you see? <laughs> You see what I did? (laughs) But more good than bad. We all think it's worthwhile watch. Mike, give it a final grade. Uh, I just take it down to like an F minus minus. (laughs) I'm so sorry to both of you. statement by you, you ruined the movie for forever. No, I I have this as a B86, which is a strong grade for me. I thought I'd be a little higher on it. I don't know. I think the act one was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I think not showing the food consumed in here, which I didn't talk about earlier because Mike gave me shit about it. I thought we were getting out of this, but yes. And I think the early James Bond films did a little something to me. You still have that sour so taste in your mouth. I might saying. rewatch this movie months from now and rank it higher. I think you guys are probably going to rank it higher. Well, this is one of the rare movies that, you actually are lower than me. You're the tougher yeah. grader here than I am because I, I think I'm. I think I'm bringing my bias into this. I'm, br- I'm like my relationship with my brother is shining through, and I. I was thinking about him and the stuff he's done for me over the years, so it definitely touched me. And I, I just, you know, I was, I was, I had definitely had goosebumps. I wasn't near tears, but I was. I could have been if I needed to. But yeah, I, I gave it an 88, B plus 88. I share your guys's uh, the shortcomings you guys pointed out, and I think uh, you guys both brought a lot of stuff to the table here that I just plain didn't think of. So I think it helped me uh, give a more well-rounded grade here. Madi, what do you got? Yeah, I think I'm right there with you, Mike one. Uh, I'll, I'm going to give it B plus 88, something right along that lines. Uh, you know, you can only give it so low if it may, if it does make me tear up. So <laughs> I think that does counteract a lot of those kind of not even flaws, just the, the, it sounds so much harsher than I mean it, but the mediocrity of the kind of the plot mechanisms and things like that. But it's still, it's a fantastic film. It made me cry. And even though there's a stupid Cheeto boat that shouldn't float, <laughs> I still really enjoyed the film. So 88. Marty, thanks so much. Yeah. Marty movie marathon is podcast. We will give you his socials once again at the end of this episode, like we did in the start, but thank you once again for coming on today, man. We really appreciate it, especially dealing yeah. with this kind of uh, environment that we put you through. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me again, guys. It was it was a blast, and it's lo- it's awesome to you know be on the other side of it. I've been listening to you guys for the last couple months now, and it's just you know it's a blast to be a part of it. I do want to say just to give everybody who's listening the same image that I'm going to have stuck in my head from this film is that <laughs> there is a half man, half horse guy in this film and he kisses a regular sized woman elf, elf woman. character. Yeah. So it's just. <laughs> I'll leave you guys with that one. (laughs) Thank you for that and for joining us, Monty. We appreciate it. Be good, buddy. Thanks a lot, guys. Great episode, as always. Cannot thank Madi enough for joining. He was very insightful. Really, really appreciate what he brought to the table. Mike, where can the good people find him in the Movie Marathoners online? Yeah, you can follow Madi at Movie Maripod on Twitter. That's Movie M-A-R-A 
Pod, and uh, his home base for the podcast is on podbean.com, moviemarathoners.podbean.com, but he's also on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and a bunch of the other podcatchers, I'm sure. Yeah, for the next Movie Marathoners recording, Monty did tell us that he's planning to rank a bunch of Pixar films, uh, which is a thankless job, as we know. <laughs> Best of luck to him in that, and be sure to be on the lookout for that and check out his thoughts. It's, it's harder, though. Than, oh, yeah, than absolutely. Absolutely. It's not an easy job. And I always like hearing what different opinions of different people have, different rankings, vis-a-vis what we did. So I'm definitely going to be listening to that. Uh, plus, he's about to review some running movies ahead of the Boston Marathon. So do become a fan of Mahdi's and the Movie Marathoners podcast. As for us, guys, and for you, dear listener, we want to hear, as always, your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about all we talked about Good, bad, and indifferent in this episode as we took Marty on a bit of a, a classic MMO ride here, but we thank him for hanging in. We were weird. Adding so much that we he were, did. He I was, was great. weird. He was he, great. He, he was rolled great. with it. Yeah, it was yeah, funny. But we want to hear, uh, you can leave us those thoughts, comments, and questions at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook or Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including an especially Apple podcast, where if you don't mind, it would be so kind to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple podcast or whatever it's called now that would really really help us out michael what are some words of wisdom for the good people and what is coming next from us well the first part is easy it is wise to become a listener of the movie marathoners podcast absolutely they do a great show yeah. and I, I love the i love his ranking episodes in particular but the he just reviewed the portrait of a lady on fire with uh, rosa reviews yeah there. Uh, that was a lot of fun and he did birds of prey before that absolutely so, uh, they're doing a great job because become a fan like we are and what do we have coming up next well let, let me tell you what we don't have part three of a james bond character study i'm still a little bitter about that does it come across in my voice it probably does i am just, too i'm not happy about i'm it, not happy about it because we were we were off had like eight cooking. episodes planned i don't like being negative about movies and i was negative about the last movie and Ending i wanted on a down note yeah i, I hear wanted you. something good and i wanted roger moore to dazzle me with one or two because i hear that he, that he does it does pick up i, yeah. I, I can't yeah the, some of the early ones there's a reason you know on her majesty's secret service i said was one of the better early ones and it's still just awful there's parts of it that are just awful <laughs> yeah it, it was it was rough so. but uh we don't have james bond we do have mmo weekly it is going to be in a loaded episode with the coronavirus and a lot of news surrounding that there's a bunch of big uh, superhero franchise movie news in terms of directors and whatnot. Uh, it's going to be another loaded MMOW. They all have been loaded thus far. We also have some some new movies that we're definitely going to hit. After that, Mike, we don't quite know yet. We have a million ideas. We we're holding the hat out again to you guys. Stuff. If any suggestions that you could throw our way, we're, we're spinning our wheels. We're going to come up with something as we always do. And for the love of God, if we got nothing, we will review the Austin Powers movie. So don't make us do that, because we'll we'll do it. I watched the, the first one last night. It just sounds like I need a cleansing Right, experience. exactly. Something that's happy and right. light. Well, this was happy and lighthearted. So this yes, was a nice palate helped. cleanser in and of itself. Monty helped. This yes, helped. he absolutely did. So, yes. Fun. We want to hear from you. Give us your thoughts on this. Everything else we do in the MMO universe. Give us your thoughts as what we can do next. And otherwise, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies of all types with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. That tagline has never proven truer than after this and the last couple episodes. Very, very, very on point there, Mike. We'll, we'll see you guys next time.